is this a test? Trust me. Hey, Cornerstone. How you doing? Hey, I just want to begin. We're in the second week of a series that we're calling The Test, and we've just been challenging you to say, hey, uh, would you put God to the test uh, in this area of your finances? Before we dig in, though, I, I just want to be a big shout-out to our Santan campus, uh, those that are over in uh, the venue right now and have given up seats in, in this room so that they could be over there. We're thrilled with you doing that. And then our Scottsdale campus, and I think you guys heard, we're in the process at the Scottsdale campus of hopefully buying a piece of property so that uh, they don't have to pack church up when Sunday's over, but maybe even more critical, they've got a location during the week that they can go after maturity in a really, really big way. And man, we're just excited and thrilled for you guys. Congratulations on that. And uh, very, very, very cool. Uh, we're doing a series, it's called uh, The Test, and we're talking about everybody's favorite subject, money. And, uh, and we say, look, 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 we're not gonna guilt you. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna beat you up. We're just not gonna do that. We're actually gonna hopefully have a conversation that leads you to a point where you go, dude, sign me up. I want to take the test. I can't wait to take the test. Because, because you ready for this? In Malachi chapter 3, the one time, the one time in all of Scripture where God says, hey, look, I, I get it. I get that this is hard for you. I get that this is scary for you. So put me to the test. Just try it out and see what I do. Because, God says, it's like I've got this pipe full of blessings. I've got things that I want to do in your life. I've got things that I've set aside for you. And look, you've got to hear this. And it's not necessarily dollars. It's not. It, it, it's just blessing. It could be uh, blessing you to be able to be more articulate and to think more clearly and to get advanced quicker at your work. It, it could be blessing that all of a sudden God is doing things in the lives of your children. I don't know what the blessing is. God just says, I have stuff that I wanted to do in your life that I can't do. It's like it's behind a valve that you've never opened because you've never trusted me in this area of your finances. And so he says, look, look test me. Throw the valve, just see, just see if I would not do things that are unexpected and bigger than you hope, and, and just see if you're not missing out on what I had for you. Take the test. And so, really, the hope at the end of the day is not that you walk out here going, oh, crud, but instead you walk out here going, man, I can't wait to see what God's going to do in my life if I take the test. Now, here's the incredible thing. When God said to you and me, hey, test me, right? You and I can't test him without taking a test ourselves. Because this thing is so dear to our hearts and so, so personal to us when it comes to our finances, that the very idea of letting God have first place and do that causes me to be tested. And last week we talked about, hey, uh, the test that comes home for you and me is this whole test of trust, this whole test of faith, because if I begin to tithe, if I begin to give faithfully to God, then I have to trust, not in a piece of paper with green ink, I have to trust the creator of the universe to take care of me when I've given him the first, first tenth of my income. And so it's the test of trust. Today we're going to talk about the test of first place. That there's no way to do this tithing thing without putting God in his proper place, which is first place in my life. Now, I'm just going to say this out loud. 
this, part, this may be the hardest test for me because I am hyper-competitive. I mean, I, I want to be in first every time. I don't care what we're doing. I don't care if it's tiddlywinks. I don't care if it's Monopoly. I just want to be first. I don't care that you lose as long as I win. I'm okay. I'm okay. Matter of fact, yesterday, I, they were doing a thing called Shop the Lot. So they had all these booths out there. And they had this rock wall. And uh, I'm, I'm standing at the rock wall. And, and it, just, it just went, I'm going, I bet you I could get up that quicker than the young guys. Now, never mind that the young guys I had in mind were six, but I, I was pretty sure I could get up there because I'm just telling you, I am innately competitive and I want to come in first and I want to be first in everything. And chances are, you struggle with the same thing too. Because there's just something in me, there's something in you that we like to be first. And God says, look, this is a problem. You being first doesn't turn out well. So here we go. Grab your Bibles and go with me uh, to Exodus chapter 13, and we're going to unpack the test of first. And if you're not real familiar, uh, go to the front of your Bible today, uh, work to the right to Exodus chapter 13. It's actually the second book of the Bible, uh, Exodus chapter 13. And it's just basically going to say to you and me, hey, this first thing is a big thing. And here's what I have found out in my life, guys. When I put myself first, uh, my marriage doesn't look so great. When I put my plans first, plans go in a ditch. When I'm first in everything, I get really selfish and self-centered right away. But when I put God first, all of it changes. And so God's going to say to you and me, hey, who you decide to put first is a big, big deal in your lives. And that one of the most powerful expressions of putting God first, the tithe. Here we go. It's Exodus chapter 13. Uh, and, and, so this is some Old Testament stuff, and you, you, gotta, you gotta wade through it with me, okay? All right, here we go. Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse one. Here's what uh, God says. He says, the Lord said to Moses, verse one, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. So get the moment. He says, look, 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 here's the deal. And you got to remember, uh, this is an agrarian culture. So when he's saying the firstborn of the flock, this is their income. They're shepherds. This is how they make their living. And he says, here's what you need to know. The firstborn of your flock belongs to me. You're going to take that firstborn lamb when it's born, and you're going to take it to the temple. You're going to sacrifice it to me, okay, because the first belongs to me. He says, even your firstborn children. Now, you don't take your firstborn children and sacrifice them, although some of us might. Anyway, so he says, no, you're going to take a lamb, and you're going to redeem the firstborn child because every firstborn belongs to me. Now, here's why that's powerful. Think about this. If I'm taking the firstborn, so I've got, I've got this female sheep, she gives birth to a little lamb, and I'm taking the first lamb, and I'm immediately giving it to God, Think of, it's before that sheep has the other nine. How much easier would it have been if God said, okay, here's the deal, let, let your sheep have ten lambs, and then give me the tenth after you know that you're blessed, after you know that I've provided. And instead, God says, no, 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 give me the first lamb before you have any others. Because this act puts me in first. 
He said to those that were uh, more agricultural in nature, he says, you're going to give me the first fruits of your harvest. So when you go out in your fields, when you, you know, harvest all of your mangoes or pumpkin, whatever it is, you're going to give me the first 10%. You're going to take that, you're going to take it to the temple, you're going to give it before, you ready? Before you go to the market and find out what the prevailing price is. Before you figure out if you're going to make the profit margin that you thought you were going to make. Before you set aside any of the seeds to plant for next year's harvest. You're going to give me the first fruits of everything that your hand touches. Because, 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 when you give me the first you are placing me in first place in your life. You and I think more like this, right? Uh, we live in a more industrial culture and we get paychecks and so we think more in dollars. So it simply does this, ready? So God gives you and me $10. Uh, how, much, how, how many dollars belong to God? Huh? Some of you going, all of them, and you're right. But stop being so spiritual. All right, so which, which one does he ask you? And what, how much does he ask us to give? One, one. See, we already knew that. We already knew that before we came today. Here's what may be news. Which one does he ask us to give? The first one. So here's my question. Which one's the first one? Is it the one on this end? Is it the one on this end? Could it be this one? Here's, here's the answer. Ready, ready, ready? Here's the answer. Whatever one is the first to leave your hand is the first one. And he says, when, when this comes to your hand, the first one belongs to me. Because when you give me the first one, you are making me first in your life. Which means, you ready for this? What does it say to God when you and I pay the mortgage pay, uh, you know, for the TV and cable and, and all, and, and pay Honda credit, and then we get to the end of the month, and we don't have a whole lot left, and even if you give the one at the end, which let's just be honest, most of the time when we wait to the end, we don't still have the one, do we? But even if you gave the one at the end, isn't that the leftover one? Which, what message does that send to our Heavenly Father if you give the leftover one instead of the first one? I had somebody come to me a while back and they said, hey, couldn't, couldn't you just donate stuff? You know, instead of giving the tithe, couldn't I just like donate some stuff? Okay, so let me get this right. You're going to donate your stinky old car. You know what I'm talking about. The car you've already got 170,000 miles on. Uh, 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 the car that's starting to have transmission problems. That's why you're buying a new car. The car that when you get in, it's just got that funky smell. You know what I'm talking about? That funky smell. Because one of the kids left their Big Mac in there and it was 118 degrees outside and you didn't check on it for three days. You know, the, the car that has the gear shift that's flying. You're going to donate your leftover car. What does that say? Ladies, you get this. Uh, he finally proposes. He comes to you, he says, hey, you know what, I'm just gonna put a ring on it, and uh, he gives you an engagement ring, and you're going, man, finally, finally, seven years of dating, finally, 
Uh, you go home that night and you look at it, because that's when you look at it. When you first get your, ah! but in a home, you're, ah! right? And you're looking at it, and you notice it's crusty. It's got scratches on you're like, huh? So now you take the ring back to him and you go, hey, uh, you know, I think you got gypped at the jeweler. This ring has crust on it and some scratches. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, that's my ex-wife's ring. <laughs> to, which, to which you gently return the ring and you say, uh, you're going to go get me a new ring. Because, because, because I'm going to be the first to wear the ring. You guys, I'm just, what does it say to God when you and I give him our leftovers? And if we understand that in human relationship, how much more critical is it in this moment? How many, how, how many of you in the room would say, hey, I, I think communion is a really powerful moment of worship? Okay, three of us. All right, so good. All right. <laughs> communion, communion is this moment. Think about this. Communion is a moment where a physical action has high, high worship. And get this. We serve crackers and grape juice, Welch's grape juice, or maybe even the discount brand, depending on what was on sale at Fry's. That's what we serve at communion. It's not the crackers, it's not the grape juice. It's what it says. Because here's what communion says. When you and I take communion, we are declaring something. We're declaring I could not save myself. I can't get to heaven by being a good person, right? So I needed a Savior, and that little cracker represents the body of Jesus Christ. The cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ, and my, ready, my physical action of taking it in is declaring I needed Jesus to come into my life and do for me what I could not do for myself. And when we take communion, we are declaring over and over and over again that we are not our own Savior, that He is our Savior. It's a powerful expression done by a physical act. When you give your tithe first, it is a powerful expression through a physical act that says... This is to remind me, this is to declare to God, you are first. You are more important than every other commitment, every other obligation, every other debt I have in my life. You are first. No wonder. No wonder God said, hey, first is a big deal to me. You know what else is a big deal? Whole. Whole. So I, I'm going to turn to Malachi. You don't have to go there if you don't want to right now because we're going to come back to Exodus again. So don't lose that place in Exodus. But I'll read this to you if you don't want to take the time. But it's Malachi. It's the verse we've been kind of using as our theme verse uh, for this conversation. It's Malachi chapter 3. Uh, you heard it last week. Let me read it for you again. because and, and as I read it, listen, because there are some really, really powerful nuggets about whole in this passage. Here we go. It's Malachi chapter 3. Uh, verse 6. Here, here's what it says. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from me, from my decrees, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord. But you ask, how are we supposed to return? And then he says, will a mere mortal rob God? 
yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, God, in tithes and offerings? Isn't it interesting that God said this physical act of giving was a spiritual act of repentance, of coming back to him? You are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the, next word, whole, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Now, look, look, look. He says, look, bring the whole, which, which just by implication means the Israelites were still bringing something. They were bringing partial tithes partial gifts. And he goes, look, look, look. My problem is you're not bringing the whole. You're, you're only partially. You're only, which isn't that the struggle we have? It's not that we don't love God or we're not committed. We're just partially committed to God. So he says, bring the whole. And then some interesting other nuggets in here regarding the whole. He says, when you bring me some, when you just bring me a portion of it, he said, you realize you're actually robbing me. Isn't that interesting phraseology? Because he doesn't call us thieves, he says you're a robber. Here's the interesting difference. A thief, a thief sneaks in, takes what they're going to take, and tries to get out without anybody noticing. A robber, a robber walks right on in, points the gun and says, open the cash register. Robbers are brazen. Now, hey, they may put a mask on so they don't get found out, but they're just going to do it right in front of you. They're just going to go, hey, I don't care. You, you're going to know you're getting robbed. And he says, isn't it interesting? He says, when you don't bring me the whole tithe, when you take your tithe and you spend it on other things, that's just brazen. It's like you're robbing me. And you think the mask? The mask? There's another nugget. He says, isn't it interesting? He says, bring me the tithe. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't say, give me the tithe? He says, bring me the tithe. Because if he said, give me the tithe, it would imply a transfer of ownership. Hey, I gave it to you. It now belongs to you, so give me some back. Instead, he says, bring me the tithe, which implies that ownership has never passed, and I'm simply asking you to bring back a portion of what still belongs to me. No transfer of ownership. And then the final one. When you give some of your tithes somewhere else, because you notice he says, hey, bring the tithe into my house, into the storehouse. Bring it into the church. But when you and I decide to dally out our tithe and, and break it up and give it to other good things, you realize other good things are not the tithe, and therefore you've only brought some to God's house. And guys, look at this. I'm not telling you you can't give to other ministries. I'm just saying that's not the tithe. When you give to a man-made ministry, it's not the tithe. Man-made ministries come and go. Man-made ministries fade. Hey, let's be honest. Billy Graham Crusade is not what Billy Graham Crusade used to be because it's a man-made ministry. And it was, it was, it's just not the church. Hey, we give to Haruma all the time, but you need to know that Haruma is not the tithe. We give to Harvest India. It's, not, it's offering. It's not the tithe because there's only one organization that Jesus started the church. Jesus loved the church and gave his life for her. And Jesus then said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is the one organization that Jesus has ordained that will not leave this world. And he says, bring it into my house. And when you dilly-dally the tithe out, you're only bringing some. 
Here's how big a deal some is to God. Some of you will remember the story, Joshua is leading the Israelites into the promised land. Uh, as he's leading them in, the first city they're going to conquer, anybody remember? <laughs> Jericho. So as they get ready to conquer Jericho, here's what God says. When you conquer the first city, Jericho, all the loot, every, everything you plunder from the city belongs to me. Isn't that interesting? The first city belongs to me. All the rest of the cities you can keep, whatever you plunder, but the first city belongs to me. Anybody want to guess how much of the resources and revenue of the promised land were all centered in Jericho? Anybody want to guess? I don't know, <laughs> but if I was guessing, I'd guess 10%. So anyways, he says, hey, you're going to conquer that first city. You're going to bring me all the plunder from the first city. Belongs to me. All the rest of the cities belong to you. Sure enough, Israel goes in. Remember, they don't even have to fight hardly. They blow the trumpets. The walls come falling down. Boy, they just overrun the city. They plunder the city. And they take all of it into God's house. It's all set aside for the building of the temple. Except one guy. One guy. By the name of Achan. And Achan, as he's going through and he's picking up the plunder, he looks and he goes, Dude, are you kidding me? White's green TV? That's so cool. God doesn't need that. You know, are, are you, wait, 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 wait. Are you kidding me? Camel, camel with the brand new navigation system? Why, why, what's God going to do with a camel with a navigation system? I, and so he keeps a couple of the things. Interestingly enough, after they get done with the Battle of Jericho, the very next battle is a tiny, tiny, tiny little hamlet called Ai. It's just like going down and trying to beat up Ocotillo. I mean, it's just, there's nothing to it, right? And, uh, and so, matter of fact, the generals say uh, to Joshua, look, don't, don't get the whole army dressed up for nothing. We'll just take a couple thousand men, we'll go down to Akatia, and we'll get it done. They, and so they do, they, they get a couple of thousand men, they go down to AI, anybody guess what happened? They get the behoobers beat out of them. They, they, they get wiped out by a little teeny hamlet. And now Joshua falls on his face before God and goes, God, why have you forsaken us? Why in the world have you brought us out of Egypt and to this moment and allowed this to happen? I mean, all of our enemies are going to see that a tiny little hamlet beat the armies of Israel. They're going to be emboldened. They'll all come and attack us now. And here's what God says to me. Ready for this? Joshua, get up off your face. This has nothing to do with me forsaking you. This has here's the problem. Somebody stole the tithe. Somebody kept a portion of what was there. And so I took my hand away. Guys, think about this for a second. I mean, think about this for a second. Of all the plunder, of everything that they were getting, as, as Achan takes his little bit, what, I mean, what is that, like one ten thousandth of the plunder? And yet God says, you didn't bring me the whole. And so I withdrew my hand. That's how big whole is. Because whole represents my whole heart. Now here, here's the deal. I, I, know, I know someone, you're, you're going to go, look, Lynn, here's, here's my problem. And maybe, maybe it's my own fault, and maybe I didn't, you know, I've, I'm just overextended. I'm just telling you, you know, I've got a lease on the car, and 
you know, we, we, we kind of wanted to step up for the kids and get in the right school district, and so we probably bought a little more house than we should have bought, and, and, and you know, kids are in private school, and, I, and I'm just telling you, I've done the bills. I mean, I've looked at it, and if we tie, I mean, we're so tight. If we tie, we'll come up short every month. Okay. Okay. But here's what I'm wondering. If you're going to short someone, wouldn't God be the last one you would short? I mean, if you're going to say, hey, sorry, I can't honor you this month, I can't meet my… Isn't God the last one you're going to… Look, I, I'm just telling you, if it's me, I'm, I'm shorting Visa. Visa has absolutely no ability to bless me. They're going to wait for theirs. Guys, I'm just thinking, I don't care what your circumstances are. The last one I'm going to short, give some to, is my God. Whole is a big deal. Let's land it. Let's just, let's just land this conversation. Go back to Exodus chapter 13. That passage we first started in, the place where you were supposed to leave your finger. Exodus chapter 13. It's an interesting thing, and, and, and at first when I read it, you're going to go, huh? Okay, so let me help you a little bit. Lambs, lambs always represent that which is clean. Remember in, in Israel, you had clean animals and you had unclean animals. You had pure and you had impure, remember? And they had dietary laws, they could only eat what was pure. So lambs, lambs are the epitome of a pure animal, okay? And in this passage, donkey is going to represent an unclean animal, an impure animal, okay? So, God's going to say, hey, don't bring me the impure animal as part of the sacrifice. I don't want impure animals. I want pure animals. Here we go. So, it's a little further. It's Exodus chapter 13, same exact passage, same first fruit conversation, but now it's verse 11. He's just describing how to bring your first fruits. Here we go. So, verse 11, here's what he says. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the promised land, and gives it to you as he has promised on an oath to you and your ancestors. You are to give over to the Lord the first offspring, conversation we've been having this morning, of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey. But if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. So here's what he says, look, look, look. If you have the unclean animal, you've got to redeem it, but you're going to redeem it with a clean animal. If you choose not to redeem it, then just break its neck because you are not going to profit from what belongs to the Lord, okay? But here's what you got to get. Wait, wait, wait. Let, let, this, let this just kind of land for a minute. God's command is you're going to take that which is pure, that which is clean, and you're going to redeem the unclean animal, the impure. All right, let me say it again. God's command was, hey, you're going to take what is pure, you're going to take that little lamb, and you're going to redeem the impure animal with the lamb. You get that at the cross. God took the lamb, the firstborn lamb, Matter of fact, remember when, when John the Baptist is baptizing, Jesus walks up, and how does John the Baptist address Jesus? Behold the Lamb of God. 
God says, he is my firstborn. And God takes the pure firstborn lamb and redeems the donkeys. Us. Us. And God, here's ready for this? God isn't asking you to do something that he hasn't already done. He's already modeled this. And what he said is, hey, guys, you want to know who's first in my heart? You are. Because I will take the firstborn and that which is pure, and I will redeem the impure. It's exactly what he already did on our behalf. It's interesting because the passage goes on, and here's what the passage says. If you keep this command, if you take the firstborn, and if you take the whole, and you begin to tithe, there is going to come the day, the passage says, when your sons and your daughters are going to look at you and say, why do we do that, Dad? Why do we take the firstborn, and why do we redeem them? And he says, in that moment, here's what you're going to say. When we were in slavery in Egypt, God redeemed us. God took us out of slavery and gave us this new land. So I gladly give my first back to him. It's interesting. Egypt, you ready? Egypt is always a picture of your life and my life before Jesus. It's a picture of our life in sin. And so when our sons and daughters come to us and say, why do we tithe? The answer is supposed to be because I used to live. It's interesting, I had a, I had a gentleman who said, Lynn, this moment happened, this, it happened exactly like God said. My son came to me and he said, Dad, why do we tithe? I don't understand. Why does our family tithe? We, we'd have so much more money for vacation and other things if we didn't tithe. And he looked at his son and here's what he said to his son. Your daddy, your daddy wasn't always such a good man. Matter of fact, long before you were born, I was a slave. I was a slave to sin. And Jesus took me out of Egypt. So I gladly give him my first because he gave his first for me. Guys, I'm dead. This physical act of tithing may be the most powerful expression of worship for a Christian because it reminds us, it declares to him who's first. Now, now here's the deal. Last week, we, we introduced you to the challenge. We said, look, we're going we're, we're gonna to trust that God's going to do what God said he's going to do, so we're going to challenge you. Would you tithe for 90 days and just see? See if taking the test, doesn't open the floodgate, God doesn't begin to bless your life. And we said, look, if you'll just sign up a card, and there's cards in your seat back, if you'd sign up on a card, tithe for 90 days, if God doesn't show up, if God lets you down, then you come tell us, we'll refund your tithe. Because we're just going to back God. We, we already believe it, we want you to believe, we're going to back God in it. And here's, you want to hear something really incredible? We didn't even really ask anybody to sign up last week. 266 households signed up to take the 90-day challenge last week. I mean, that's cool, right? That's cool. So here's, here's what's fun. Here's what's fun. So one of the people that took the challenge already wrote back, okay? And, uh, and here, here's, here's what they said. Hey, I signed up yesterday, 
at the 1155 service at church. I went home and did online bill pay with my bank to tithe the amount of $135. About 7 p.m. last night, my boyfriend stated that he would help me with a traffic school for a ticket I recently got by paying half of the fee, which is about $135. When I initially got the ticket, he berated me and gave me a hard time saying that I was irresponsible for getting the ticket. Now he's paying half. So it was a complete surprise to me when he even brought up the subject and volunteered to pay. Now, look, look, look. No, 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 no. Let's not get excited because that's probably coincidence, right? I mean, it's coincidence that she signed up in the morning and six hours later the guy calls up and volunteers to pay. And, you know, it's coincidence that God changed his heart about the topic. It's coincidence that it was like the exact amount. I mean, that's coincidence, right? Which is going to really help you with the next letter she wrote. <laughs> so just a couple of days later, she goes, hey, uh, three additional things have happened to me this week since the tithing Sunday. My brother called me up out of the blue and offered to have my 18-year-old son, Stuart, come up and live with him rent-free for a year. Now, guys, you realize how financial that is, right? How much does an 18-year-old eat? And how often do they leave the lights on? I mean, that's a windfall. And to give him a job as a machinist in Seattle and also to help him go to community college for training. He sells parts to machine shops and so he knows the best ones to work at. My brother also lives on Kamano Island and also wants to take him out boating, fishing, hunting, a whole bunch of things that my son has never had the opportunity to do before. Oh, by the way, my brother also offered uh, to give me $200 toward traveling expenses to come up for Christmas, which he has never done and which will enable me to drive up there. I haven't been back to Seattle for 10 years. Oh, and more, uh, I got offered an accounting job with a local Chandler employer so I can quit my 50-plus-hour-a-week job in downtown Phoenix and spend more time at home with my kids. I miss out on a lot of evening church events since I don't get home to like 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night. The pay is slightly less, but the benefits more than make up for it, plus the time saved commuting and the wear and tear on my car. Now, here's the deal, guys. guys. It's just coincidence, right? I mean, it's just, it's just coincidence. But here's what I'm thinking. I sure would like to be coincidenced. <laughs> and so we're just asking, wouldn't you want to take the test? The test that declares who we trust and the test that declares who's first in our lives? Wouldn't that be an exciting test? especially if your church was back in God. I'll leave it up to you. If you decide to fill out a card today, the ushers are going to come. Uh, you just drop that card in the offering. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we simply come to the moment, and it's interesting that you challenged us. You said, hey, take this test. Just see. Just see what would happen if you trusted God more than paper and ink, if, if you put me in my right place, just see. And God, I'm just going to pray over this room today that there would be just literally hundreds who would be filled with courage, who would just simply say, you know what the truth is?
if God didn't even bless, it'd be the right thing to do. It'd be the thing I should do. Because the God who put me first deserves for me to put him first. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.